Around Comics, Episode 3. Welcome to another episode of Around Comics, where we assemble a new round table each week to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman. Let me introduce you to today's panel. On your iPod, from left to right, as always, he is my partner in crime and the producer of the show. He is Brian Salazar. I'm not a sidekick. <laughs> and making his triumphant return to Around Comics, he is Tom Caters. I wish I was a sidekick. <laughs> Tom, the, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, how has your life changed since your first appearance on Around Comics? How are you dealing with the fame and fortune? Uh, well, the high only lasted for about an hour after the show was done. And then when I listened to last week's, I was screaming, thinking that maybe if I talk loud enough, everyone would be able to hear me, even though... I wasn't actually on the podcast. So. Well, you know, actually, we wanted to hear more from you, so we are just running with a three-legged table today. So that means you get more of Chris, more of Sal, and more of Tom today. So that's, uh, that's going to be the format, so we'll see how it works. All right, what we're talking about today is marketing in comics, how the comic companies market their product and who they market them to. Uh, in, the, in the last few years, uh, both comic companies, that being Marvel and DC, have really focused on licensing, and especially in the, the toy market is one that I see. Uh, I know that both of you guys uh, either have gone shopping for toys or have children that, uh, that like them. What are your experiences in the, the toy market, and how do you see that impacting the, uh, the comic scene? In the times that I've gone shopping for toys which actually was only around Christmas and it was uh, as part of a charity uh, drive. I hadn't really looked at action figures probably in about 15 years so I was kind of surprised by how much more geared even the like mainstream toys are towards collectors as opposed to just being pure children's toys. Uh, I got this like 12 inch Superman that had sound effects and glowing eyes but all the other toys were like three packs of Red Tornado and two other obscure DC characters that I don't see how a kid would really enjoy having them so I was a little taken aback by that how collector oriented almost all the toys had become well uh, you know uh, there certainly is that that part of it um there's you know all the 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 statues that are coming out and the the toys that are becoming more and more sophisticated i think mcfarland you know that spawn company has uh really been an impact of that the, you know they started coming out with really well designed and and high detail uh toys and that sort of you know, they were successful so the marketplace obviously gravitated towards it um, my biggest surprise is that as much of other things, merchandising that you see, uh, toys and games and movies and everything else, that it, it doesn't, to me, seem to be translating into new comic book readers. And, and that's surprising me. I don't know if that's um, a mistake, or not a mistake, but I don't know if that's a failure 
by these companies of not um, cross-promoting, you know, comics and the other items that they create. Uh, you have, you know, these huge Hollywood movies that are extremely successful. You have tons of toys and and every possible thing you can imagine for kids that has Spider-Man's face on it or the Justice League or Superman or whatever you want. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to translate into new readers, which surprises me to some degree. But is it because those faces, those characters are, you know, almost a separate entity when you see them outside of a comic book? That That's actually a point I was going to bring up is whenever you look at Spider-Man, the movie, or Batman, or X-Men, or any of the other uh, Fantastic Four, whatever... Is that translating into new readers? Whether it's kids, whether it's people that read comics, went away from them, and does it spark new interest to bring readers back? And if you look at the marketing that that the two big companies, and and then even you know a few like Dark Horse uh, beyond that, if you look at, at how they market. And, and that goes beyond advertising. It goes into a lot of you know secondary marketing, whether it's event promotion or licensing through toys or folding into movies and TV. Have those become markets of their own, or do they come back and get readership? And probably the big question is, do the companies even want that? Do they make enough money off of the actual comics in relation to collectibles and and entertainment? Well, I uh, think Tom. Well, I think that the way these characters are presented has changed so much. There's so many more places you can go to to get your Spider-Man fan fix than reading the comic book. There's video games, cartoons, movies that I think for a lot of kids, they don't necessarily connect the comic book as being the next step and I want more Spider-Man. It's not necessarily the comic book is the place that they're going to go. Yeah, it's it's I I I I want more Spider-Man, but instead of buying the the comic books, I'm going to wait for Ultimate Spider-Man to the video game or exactly. Spider-Man three the movie, and it, and it may not be driving them back to uh, to the comic racks. Well, I think you've seen a little bit of of a change, or at least an attempt by uh, by in a in a couple of ways. You know, Marvel when they you know they did the Ultimate Spider-Man video game. I mean, that was set basically in continuity with the you know the comic i mean that you know at the end Writ- of, written by bendis <clears throat> uh, you know, character creations by mark bagley and so i mean that was i think an attempt to try and get people you know once they played the game you know but i don't I, honestly i didn't I've, I've never played the game so i don't know beyond having that set you know was there anything in the game to actually try and get people you know to read comics after they've played it the other instance is Dark Horse, um, you know, putting a graphic novel in the special edition of Sin City. You know, they, they, they actually put the graphic novel in there, but it wasn't free, and it wasn't, you know, it, it was it was part of the, you know, special edition that cost, whatever, 30 bucks or however much. I was going to mention that in that that is one of the, the two places that I know that they include actual comic books in what you're buying outside of the comic shop. Uh, if have any of you guys bought the Marvel Legends uh, toy line? Any of those? No. No, I, I haven't. Those actually come with a Marvel comic uh, 
on the backing board. So if you buy the War Machine toy, you get the Iron Man issue where the first War Machine uh, armor was introduced. And then the, with the Sin City uh, Extended Edition, and then also what the uh, the Batman Begins, that special edition DVD came with a collection of Batman comics in it. But I guess... I mean, the, Oh, go ahead. The only thing that I would say that maybe doesn't work in that case is how many people are buying the Marvel Legends toys who don't already know about the comic book. Or how many people are buying that special edition Sin City DVD, which is more expensive than the regular. Right. Go in saying, oh, I didn't know it was a comic book. Now I see this. So I I think there's just a lack of... Wouldn't it make more sense? I mean, you have, okay, Spider-Man 2 coming out, and you know you're going to have these huge crowds of people that, you know, the majority of them probably don't read Spider-Man. You know, either, you know, at point of sale of them buying a ticket from, you know, you do a promotion with an online ticket broker, and you buy it through Movie Phone or whatever, and you get a coupon to use, you know, uh, or, or something to use at your local comic shop. I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to do, considering you have... You know, Diamond Distributor, and you, they're the sole distributor of Marvel Comics. You could you could easily do that kind of thing, or or even with Borders Books. You know, go you know you buy your ticket to Spider Man Two and get a you know ten percent off of a, a, a Spider Man graphic novel at Borders Books. I mean, it just seems that sort of a promotion would make more sense to try and get more people to to read comics. Whereas I don't think they're really u- utilizing it as best they could. You know, it seems you know, like, okay, uh, we're happy to make, you know, however mil- millions of dollars off of the movie and treat it as a completely separate entity and, you know, sell our comics as we have been. I, I think that's what's happening is that the actual comics have become secondary to the other inter- entertainment channels. I, I think that Marvel Studios, and, and, and I don't know this for sure, but I think that Marvel Studios and, and Warner Brothers are probably more concerned about box office of the latest Batman movie or how X3 does at the box office as opposed to how well new X-Men is going to sell or getting new readership. And, and I think that that gets reinforced whenever you look at their distribution channels. And no matter what business it is, you can only market as well as your distribution channels are going to let you. And as long as local comic shops are, are pretty much the only way for consumers to buy comics, and, and I know you can go into Borders or Barnes & Noble or whatever and buy a trade, but as long as the distribution channels are as small as they are, I, I don't know how well the secondary marketing through entertainment channels is going to be in boosting readership. I, d- I don't know if that's their goal anymore. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily their goal, but it it certainly should be part of it. I mean, obviously, when you're putting millions of dollars into you know production of a film, you're looking at you know selling the film, but there has to be some part of whoever's running the Marvel comic book division going, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to try and get more people to read our our books. I mean, Marvel's not just producing comic books to, to do it. I mean, they're there to make money, too. Yeah, can they, they're not going to make the same you know dollar amounts that you're going to make with a, a movie, but you would think someone there would be able to, to, to figure out a way to cross promote. And there's, you know, there's other channels that, you know, I mean, gee, I mean, you could sell subscriptions on your own website, uh, or you know, make a deal with a, a, a internet company. You know, a, an online comic book shop. If people want to do it that way, I mean, there's 
there's always a way to do it if if you want to do it. It just doesn't seem like anyone's you know kind of picking up that ball and running with it. Well, I tell you what, you could have walked into a Walmart a, a month before Fantastic Four the movie came out, and you could have bought ten different Fantastic Four movie toys, but you couldn't find an FF comic book in that store. No, that's what I mean, and it just seems strange to me that you would let it, you know. Obviously, you know whether you're Warner Brothers or you know Marvel Entertainment Group, your divisions are different. You know you have your entertainment division that that is all about the movies and the merchandising, and then you have your comic book division, your publishing division. But someone at those publishing divisions has to be, you know, either just not doing it or frustrated as hell because they're not letting them, you know, cross promote these these products because it just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I mean. Perfect example is, you know, I have a, a 18-year-old nephew, doesn't read comic books, loved Sin City, loved the movie, I mean, he, he loves all, all the, you know, superhero and comic book movies that come out, but he doesn't read comics, and I, you know, I asked him one day, I was, why don't you read comics? He's like, oh, I don't like to read. You know, a week later, I see him, you know, reading a 700-page Harry Potter book. So, you know, it's like, it, yeah, obviously it's not because you don't like to read, but for whatever reason, you know, whether it's the stigma behind it or, or whatever reason, he, he doesn't want to read comics, even though the material that this stuff is based on, you know, he, he loves the movie, but he just, for whatever reason, doesn't, you know, and I think that's, you know, there's there's something missing there. There's some link between the two that, that we're missing out on trying to get more people interested in comics. Well, I, th- but, I think mm-hmm. part of it is people who are in charge of making movies, sometimes I feel they look at it and say, you know, Spider-Man's now bigger than comic books. Finally, we get to use this character and we don't have to worry about trying to market it in a ghettoized comic book store. So they can kind of look at it as just a property, as just a commodity to sell. So they go in and make this movie. It doesn't cross their minds to include a comic book with it because to them, they've lost all that baggage once they've been able to make a successful movie. Because I, I don't know, I don't know any of you know the executives personally, but I know from a business <laughs> point of view, there's probably people that you know don't care at all about selling the comic books. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. It's, it's box office and then licensing is where is where the money obviously is at. And whenever you whenever you spin off of a movie, yeah. But I mean, just as a well, and this is a, I think another problem that there doesn't seem to be any long range thinking in comics. But if you're you know if you're working for Marvel or DC and you have these successful movies, wouldn't you want to be able to produce more of them and you know you're only going to be able to make so many Spider-Man movies you're only going to be able to make so many you know Batman movies or you're only going to be able to make so many Superman movies i mean there's other maybe untapped resources or news stories and if you you know if the readership isn't there you know supporting you know something that would get the movie studios interested in making that film you know sooner or later it's sort of just going to die off i mean wouldn't you wouldn't it you know, just be common sense to go. Okay, well, the more people we can get interested in Marvel Comics or DC Comics in general, you know, the more opportunities we'll have later on to make more films. To me, it you know, it seems like it, it would be there because sooner or later, you know, you're going to have your big names, but you know, at some point, that's you know, it's going to be the law of diminishing returns. You're going to have less and less as time goes on because the 
you know, marquee name superheroes have all been used up. And if people aren't interested or if new characters aren't created or new interesting stories aren't made, you're going to sort of run out of opportunities to make, you know, make films. You know, I, I would I would agree with that, except there are films being made now that aren't based on marquee characters. You, Why wasn't there a a bigger marketing push from uh, Brian you read History of Violence who who published that um it might have been Art Planet I'm not uh, why I know here in Chicago whenever that movie came out and there was even Oscar buzz at that a lot of critics put that on their on their top 10 why couldn't you walk into a Borders bookstore and see uh, a a pop-up stand with now a major motion picture with rows of those graphic novels for people to buy I I don't understand why even the smaller companies aren't aren't jumping onto that to use that's a really small publishing company like I said I don't remember who it was it it was it might have been Art Planet or I I don't remember exactly but it was a really small company and they certainly don't have the funds to necessarily do that if they're not getting it from the movie studio and in that instance you know I think you know we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago how you know comics are being used to sort of get you know stories but they almost want to and, and Tom you touched on this they almost want to drop the baggage of it being a comic book especially with films like History of Violence or Road to Perdition you know they don't they don't even want to promote that idea because they don't want the stigma of it being a comic book movie because they know that the material is is serious yet the general public views comic books as for kids which we all know Boy, well, I also think it, mm-hmm, go ahead well, I think part of it, too, is that a lot of these movies that get made are made by people that are pretty much just poaching stories. They're not these synergized, excited fans of these books that necessarily are always putting these movies together. I'm sure someone saw A History of Violence and said, oh, you know, we can make a great movie out of this. It never once crossed their mind to help sell the book at all. They saw it as an opportunity to make a movie. Yeah, and I think you're seeing more and more of that with the independent publishers that they're, you know, I, I remember some of us, there was an article written about WonderCon and how it's just turned into this, you know, place where Hollywood executives, you know, go to to try and find new stories. They're, don't, they're not looking, they don't care about comics or the industry. They're not trying to, you know, in any way promote that. They're just, like you said, trying to poach stories from there and they can, especially with a small independent you know publisher you know they offer them a, you know a, a small fee for the, the the right to make a film out of it and these guys are going to jump at it obviously uh you know but they're not in any way going to try and promote comic books or that even you know that comic book let alone anything beyond that you know i i think that jumps into a much bigger marketing problem that the comic companies have and that is the stigma how how do you how do you market to a larger group of people and try and erase that stigma. You you look at at works like Ghost World and History of Violence and Sin City. I mean, they are anything but comic. How do you try and erase that? I I, I see a couple things that DC has done in the last couple years. They sponsored through Roush Racing the Michigan 400. So they're tapping into a NASCAR crowd. It's uh, You can buy a Justice League die-cast NASCAR that was actually raced in Michigan. And then this last year, they did the Batman Begins 400. And, you know, 
are they trying to erase the stigma of the comic geek? Do they need to? You know, I, I think to appeal to a, a, a broader base, I think that needs to happen. Well, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think you have a problem because in order to, you know, appeal to a larger audience, you're, you're going to have to go away from a lot of the things that are going on right now in comics that I personally think are great for me as a fan. As a 20-year veteran of reading comics, a lot of the stuff that's being done as far as continuity and developing characters and developing relationships between characters and, you know, taking older characters and bringing them back or, you know, reinventing, not necessarily reinventing, but, you know, using a lot of their history in their stories. Uh, I mean, you look at, like, Infinite Crisis, which if you're not a, a, a veteran of DC Comics from the last 10, 15 years, a lot of what's going on in there you're, you're probably not going to get. You're not going to, you know, understand the history of it or really appreciate it. And I think someone that has never read a comic jumping into something like that is going to be a huge issue. I don't, you know, I don't know where they would, you know, if, if they could appreciate it or if they'd enjoy it because it's so mired in the history of the characters. Now, me personally, I'm enjoying it because I do get a lot of it. There, I mean, even as you know, even as much as I have read, there's still stuff in there that I don't always get. But you know, someone that has never read a comic trying to jump into that or trying to jump into you know, any of the mainstream books where they're using top talent to really write good stories, I think people will have a hard time jumping into it. And well, so, I'll, I'll raise that question to Tom. Are, are comics accessible to new readers? It, it, can the comic companies attract new readers? And once they get them to even open up a book, can they keep them? Sometimes I feel like the stigma is in comic readers imaginations almost we've built it up so much as looking at like some sort of conspiracy against comic books but i feel a lot like people that i've got hooked on to reading comics just needed to be shown a comic they didn't need to be convinced that they weren't some horrible childish thing they just never crossed their mind at all and i think a lot of companies are caught in the trap of the same people have been reading these stories for 15 years. These are the people that are buying, you know, 100,000 copies of whatever Batman story you're writing. So you're going to write a story for that group of people. You're not always going to be writing stories for new audience because that's not who's buying them. It's it's a very complicated situation because well, we had talked about that earlier. Is you're, you're trying to sell as many books as you can today to your core group of readers yeah. that you know are going to purchase the books, and for them it's great. But it it is trouble for the future of comics because it does not, you know, in my opinion, allow for new readers to really get involved in comics easily. It, there needs to be a diversification. Almost there has to be space in. Marvel and DC and all these companies to have stories that longtime fans can enjoy and stories that new people can jump onto. But there always seems to be a reluctance at times from fans and everyone to make that switch or to admit there needs to be all these different things going on. Like people want their company that they buy all the time to be like X. They don't want to have X, Y, and Z. They don't want to have all these things going on all the time. But I think if comics are going to survive, they need to have that diversification. They need to have 
something for everyone to go to and look at. As much as I enjoy Infinite Crisis, it's not really diverse. You know, I can't just it, it, hand it's not, any it's of it not to for an introductory fan. Yeah, it's not bad or good because of that, but you're not going to get new readers because of it either. You know, everyone talks about we're not as an industry selling to, to kids. We're not hooking the, the 10, 12-year-old kid, you know, but I'm even looking at the, the teenager, the, the college age. It, are, are there titles out there for them to jump into from the mainstream comics industry? I, I look at a lot of indie titles, and those are very easy to jump into. But from the mainstream, you know, there there are kids' books out there. I looked at a bunch of them this week, and there's a lot of stuff that ten and twelve year olds can read. But the the teenage and the the college age, hopefully new reader, is there enough stuff out there for them to jump onto and enjoy? I think there is. I think there's plenty. I I think there may be too much. I think that's you know more of a problem than there's not enough. Is there's you know. You walk into a comic book shop and try and figure out, as a new reader, never read a comic in your life, you walk into your local comic book store, and, and we've all been in enough to know, you know, there's so much there, it's it's sensory overload. You're not sure where to begin. You don't know where, you know, to start with anything. I, I had a, a friend of my sister's who she works with um, had just started to get into comics, and he wanted, you know, more information because... He didn't know where to start. He w- he went into a comic shop and he want he liked Spider Man, and he didn't know you know uh, you know Marvel Knights Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, you know uh, Ultimate Spider Man. He had no idea what the relationship between any of them were, if it was the same character or not, if it was the same timeline or not. He had no idea, and I you know I was able to help him out once you know I t- I got to talk to him and I you know kind of pointed him in the right direction. But you know not everyone is going to have that ability or, or have someone that knows about comics or you know you walk into a shop and it's sort of a you know coin flip whether or not you're going to get good help or not I mean a lot of shops you have guys in there that are very helpful but you know there's a lot of shops that they're not especially as somebody that you know that has never read comics it's sort of like that scene out of um, um, well it doesn't matter but but my point is uh, for a new reader there's so much for them to choose from how do you know where to begin and where do you get that information from? Now, luckily, you know, for him, he was able to, to get some information that helped him. And I think with the Internet and, you know, there's resources, but if you're not persistent, it's it's certainly not easy. It's not an easy thing to just start one day, hey, I'm going to start reading comics and know, you know, at any point, you know, you could pick up one book and it not be what you're looking for. And, you know, and that turns you off from the whole thing. Um, I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case but it certainly could be. I mean, there's there's so much out there between you know good and bad, and everybody's tastes are so different that you know it, it's not um, something you you could certainly rule out. Well, that's where I think almost the companies need to start using the sort of electronic media almost because part of the problem of buying a comic book and then hating it is that you look at the cover and you realize you just spent three dollars on something you hated. I mean, it's tough enough to spend $3 on something you like. So I almost feel like this ties into the whole electronic versus paper almost debate. If there's room for both of them. If there's an opportunity for like a college student who we all know is already 
downloading music off the internet like crazy. If a company <laughs> offers a comic book online that you can download for 50 cents, I mean, you might, I know personally, I'd be more willing to just start trying to pick things out and see what it is and, you know, experiment that way. Because I think the price point is also important in that equation. Sure. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, when when I was a kid, you know, comics were a lot cheaper than they are now, and you know, a twelve-year-old kid, you know, walking into a comic book shop, you know, with five bucks in his pocket, he's not going to get a whole lot of, of stuff to go through to make up his mind whether or not he likes it or not. You know. You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister, and she's hot. Well, we look at, at another marketing tool, and that is events and promotion. And uh, pretty much every comic company uses comic conventions as their e- event promotion uh, platform. Uh, you, you look over the last few years, and there's one company that's been notably absent at a lot of those, and that was after the, the reorganization. Marvel's presence at conventions is almost non-existent. What message does that send to fans in the industry as to, to how important they thought uh, conventions were to market their their materials? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have any numbers, but I would suspect that the amount of people that actually go to comic book conventions compared to the people that read comics is pretty small. So I don't know that that says a, a whole lot to uh, you know the, anyone other than that that niche group of people that actually goes to a lot of conventions or goes to conventions on a regular basis. I, I mean, like I said, this is just sort of out of the air, but I, I, I can't imagine that out of the $350 million spent on comics last year that the majority of that was by people that go to conventions. I would think the majority of that, you know, people probably don't go to conventions. So, you know, that that's a that's a business decision, you know, the cost benefit of, you know, spending the money to go to a convention for 3 days and and uh what it, what they get out of it. I mean, I don't know that they're using conventions for market research or or uh or anything as as much as they are just, you know, once again trying to promote stuff to that core group of people that are, you know, hardcore yeah, and, fans. And, and that's not to say that Marvel isn't at conventions. They just don't have a booth. Their creators are there. Uh, Joe Casada is always in Chicago. So th- their presence is there, especially on panels. But as far as, as a company booth, they, they have a very, very small presence. Do you, do you feel that whenever you go to conventions, Tom, that it isn't important as far as how the comic companies, their presence at a convention, is that important to you? It's important in the sense that in any business situation that you go into, appearance is a lot of what's going on. Now, I get that maybe Marvel doesn't think the investment of money is worth it, but how expensive is it really to have a booth at the convention compared to the money that Marvel has? I mean, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant or huge, like that, but you walk in and you look around and you see all these other booths and you think, well, you know, Marvel can't be bothered to show up for it. You know, I know in my business, when we have big convention things to go meet new clients, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a lot of times it's a waste of time because no one stops to talk to you, but you got to be there. You got to, you know, do what everyone else does, at least to a minimum, just to 
you know, create the appearance that you at least care somewhat. And I mean, I'm not saying this because I'm bitter that Marvel isn't there. I'm just saying in all types of business situations, appearance and perception is so much, you know, inherent in everything, especially with a crowd that goes to it that likes to talk bad about anything that annoys them. <laughs> you know? That's true. It's like, it spreads so quickly. And it just seems like something that you could put an end to it just by having a simple booth there. Yet, I always see on message boards, people are like, why doesn't Marvel have a booth? Why doesn't Marvel have a booth? And that's just my opinion on it. I mean, I, I don't really... I don't cry myself to sleep because I yeah, can't. Per- personally, it, it doesn't bother me it, because there's so many creators there, and you you know that Marvel has a presence there without having a booth. And and for me personally, in, in conventions, I try and stay away from the big booths by the the major publishers. You know, I, I would rather go through Artist Alley and and talk to to smaller publishers at that point. Um, final points on marketing and comics. Um, if there was one thing that you could do if you were head of, of marketing for any comic book company, what would you do? Sal? Uh, I think market research. I would, um, I would try and, you know, I mean, like, I've been reading comics for 20 years and I've never been, you know, solicited by any comic book company on my opinions. Um, of what I like, what I don't like, and certainly looking at people outside of your fans, looking at new comic book readers, trying to research, you know, the in, outside of your own industry to try and get new fans to the books, because I think that's going to be more important than anything in the long run. You, you, I think the major publishers today are, are too concerned with the now and, and what they're going to sell today. They've moved away from their... Um, their long stance of their characters being more important than their creators, which in a lot of ways is great because you do have great creators now that are are making you know really good books. But I think it also can hurt you in in some ways because you have these creators making a lot of decisions based on you know fandom as opposed to uh, stability in the industry. So I think I would do much more market research, research trying to figure out how to get new fans in, how to uh, use the, the you know films and other merchandising avenues to cross-promote books. Tom? I, if I was in charge, I would embrace the internet and all the electronic media as tightly to my bosom as I could. Because <laughs> uh, I feel the comic book industry needs to really look at what the music industry has done right and wrong with the internet. The genie's already out of the bottle as far as content being on the internet, and these companies need to, instead of drag their feet and wish that it would go away, they just need to say, okay, I'm going to grab a hold of this and we're going to use it to our advantage. We're going to have an ability to download one comic book you know, a month for like 50 cents or whatever business model makes sense with, for them and to really be bold in finding what the next format is that's going to work instead of holding on to what is working for them now. They need to experiment a little bit more with that because I don't think it's going to hurt them really to try something different but it almost feels like they're worried that 
something horrible is going to come of all this, you know. But it, it isn't. I mean, if you look at the internet and companies that have been successful using the internet, it's by being aggressive with it. Because Absolutely. People will figure out how to get what they want somehow. You know, you got to cut them out. The way to, I guess, it kind of ties into. I've seen a lot of people discuss stuff about BitTorrent and file sharing and stuff like that. And I think that's part of why the companies are leery to use the internet. But if you own a store and people are stealing from you, the way to get them to stop stealing isn't to stand at the door and say stealing is wrong. Don't, don't I mean, people already store. know that. You know, you have to give them an alternative that works for them. You have to evolve. I agree. That would be what I would do. I, um, I'm going to go on record by saying I don't think that the marketing by either one of the major companies is bad. I think they do actually a pretty great job. If you look at how they reach people outside of comics through movies, TV, through licensing of toys and other properties, I think, I, I think their marketing is fantastic. The problem I see is not a marketing problem, it's a distribution problem, and the, the slow death that is going to creep up on comics is in distribution. And as long as as Diamond holds the the only um, the only option, that is going to be the biggest problem. Marketing wise, they're doing fine. It's the fact that you're so limited in where you can buy comic books. That's that is the danger that they're going to face. And until they stand up and figure out how to get comic books at a reasonable price into the hands of the casual. Uh, consumer, that's that's going to be their issue. AroundComics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.AroundComics.com. Tokyo Pop, the country's number one graphic novel publisher, heralds the arrival of Princess AI Evolution, the third and final book rounding out the Gothic Fantasy Trilogy. Created by an unparalleled royal manga family that includes writer-producer-composer DJ Milky, renowned Japanese artist Mishaho Kujirado, and celebrated international mangaka Ai Yazawa. While Evolution marks the finale of the best-selling Princess AI manga series, its release signals a new chapter in the epic adventure. Looking toward the 2008 feature film debut of the AI Land Chronicles, DJ Milky is currently in post-production on a sizzling three-minute presentation reel that showcases the groundbreaking blend of live action and animation he has in store for the film. Joe Quesada, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, and his band Idle Chatter will show off their musical prowess at a benefit concert for the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, held in conjunction with the New York Comic Con taking place at the Javits Center February 24th through the 26th. Opening for Idle Chatter will be special guests M16 and Skelter. The evening will be introduced by writer-director Kevin Smith and will be loaded with extra surprises. Call 212-727-7775 for more information. Diamond has announced the launch of the Diamond Bookmark, an e-newsletter aimed at teachers, librarians, and others interested in the teaching potential of graphic novels. Scheduled to launch its debut issue in February, 
The Diamond Bookmark email newsletter is a monthly bulletin with the latest developments in the world of graphic novels. Developed in conjunction with Diamond's revamped Bookshelf Magalog and updated Bookshelf website, the Diamond Bookmark will serve as an easily accessible graphic novel resource. There is a wealth of information out there promoting the educational benefits of comics, said Diamond's education specialist Keith Chow. This is indeed an exciting time and we are thrilled to share our knowledge of comics and graphic novels with educators and librarians everywhere. The Igo Manga LLC and Devil's Due Publishing Incorporated have announced the release of the Sakura Pack Digest series starting with Sakura Pack Volume 1. The stories in Sakura Pack contain compelling original English language or OEL manga stories that emphasize themes such as the spirit of modern femininity, wellness, friendship, self-confidence, in addition to serious topics such as sexual harassment and teenage depression. Supergirl No. 5, the final issue by the team of writer Jeff Loeb, artists Ian Churchill, and Norm Ratman, will arrive in stores on February 22nd with two bonuses, extra story pages and two covers by Churchill and Michael Turner. Churchill and Turner have combined forces for the first time to create two jam covers featuring Supergirl and Kara Zor-El. Both covers spotlight the same exciting scene, but on one cover, Supergirl is drawn by Churchill and Kara is drawn by Turner. On the other cover, Supergirl is drawn by Turner and Kara is drawn by Churchill. In addition, this special issue will arrive in stores with 32 pages of story that will serve to wrap up the current story arc. Roxbox Entertainment Group is proud to announce the release of Kifu Fighters, a stunning new comic book series and an action-adventure story suitable for kids of all ages. We are very excited to release this series, and we have worked hard to give you the very best quality comic your money can buy, says CEO and publisher Philip Temple. Initial reaction and support for this book has been nothing short of amazing. Having now joined up with the incredible team at Diamond Distributors, we feel these dynamic characters will not only make your kids laugh, but they'll touch your heart. Cool adventures, cool characters, and lots of laughs. What more can a kid ask for? Be sure to look for the Kifu Fighters animated series coming soon, along with the comic series Voltage Urban Legend. Art samples can be seen on the company website www.roxbox.tv. Retailers and fans agree Planet Hulk is a hit. After just one issue, this epic story, destined to return the Hulk to greatness, is being hailed as an instant classic. Echoing those feelings, the first issue, Incredible Hulk number 92, has sold out at Diamond Distributors. There are no plans at this time to go back to press on the first issue, and this event will not be collected until the last issue has been released. Dynamite Entertainment announced its agreement with Universal Studios to produce comics based on the Darkman films. Darkman will find a home with Dynamite and in the comics pages of 2006, commented Dynamite spokesperson Jay Allen. This character will make for a perfect comic. He's one of the most complex and unique superheroes around, and we plan to launch him in a most special way. A launch is planned for the new series, as Darkman debuts in a crossover with another famous character introduced by Sam Raimi. All of this from the writing team of Kurt Busiek and Roger Stern. Charles Schultz Peanuts has won acclaim as one of the most popular comic strips of all time. Printed worldwide to this day, the familiar characters from this masterwork have been the basis for all sorts of entertainment, publishing, corporate identity, and merchandising projects. Dark Horse Deluxe, an imprint of Dark Horse Comics, Inc., is joining in the fun by creating a special series of limited edition statuettes of vintage Peanuts characters. Modeled after products that were popular in the 1930s and 40s, the eight new statuettes from Dark Horse are designed and manufactured in a style consistent with the earlier figures and are scheduled for monthly release starting in September of 2006. 
On February 25, 2006, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, in association with Reed Exhibitions and the McFarland Companies, unleashes a retrospective exhibit showcasing the art and career of legendary artist Todd McFarlane. The multimedia exhibit will include original artwork and artifacts from private collections and McFarland Company's archives, including original comic art pages stretching back to his childhood and work for Marvel and DC on such titles as Spider-Man and Coyote, all the way through the image years. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund has announced that creator Greg Thompson has been named as the organization's new deputy director. A nine-year veteran of the comics retailing world, Thompson comes from four years with Bankston's Used Books, Austin Books, and most recently five years running customer service and shipping for Lone Star Comics, MyComicShop.com. In 2004, Thompson established himself in the creative realm as the writer of Hero Camp, published by Image Comics, with artist Robbie Rodriguez and colorist Russ Lowry. According to IO Film, Wicker Park director Paul McGowan is preparing to make Marvel's Deathlock his next film. Deathlock is based on the comic about a man who unwittingly finds himself the subject of an experiment which slowly turns him into a cyborg, with computer and robotic parts replacing nearly his entire body. Quite a change of pace for director McGowan, who's best known for the stylish thrillers of dramas like the forthcoming Lucky Number Slevin, or critics' flicks like Gangster Number One or Wicker Park. On February 9th, Marvel held a conference call to discuss this spring's epic Annihilation event. Taking Marvel back into the cosmic realm, Annihilation focuses on four somewhat forgotten beings in the Marvel Universe. Nova, Ronan, Silver Surfer, and Super Skrull. Each is starring in their own four-issue miniseries beginning in April. Preceding the four minis, Marvel is releasing Annihilation Prologue on March 15th. Each miniseries is promised to be an independent story so that readers can choose to follow one or all. Those four minis tie into the main Annihilation 6-issue miniseries that launches this summer. Again, Marvel promises that you can hop into the main mini without having read the previous books. And those are your comic book headlines. Listen to AroundComics.com. It's not just for 12-year-old boys. It's for 13-year-old boys, too. And that's the news. Um, all right, some interesting stuff this week. Uh, first thing, kind of uh, jumping right on to our main topic. I see uh, Diamond launching their bookmark uh, program. Uh, if they can get graphic novels into schools, I think that is a, uh, a great idea. Yeah, I see every four-year-old with a copy of uh, Watchmen. <laughs> That's your dream. Day, a- day after nap time, we're gonna, we're gonna send city. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's um, if it's just Diamond sort of trying to jump onto, you know, a, a, a sort of PR move, you know, of just going, hey, we're we're pushing these into schools and and that, or they're or they're honestly trying to. Uh, to use them, but once again, it goes back to you know trying to get past that stigma uh, that you know is there in in whatever form you want to take it of of comics being uh, only for you know kids and 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 silly things. I mean, they're trying to push the the educational value of of the medium. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, we'll see. I uh, I was listening to uh, Indie Spinner Rack uh, last week, and uh, I think there's some deal going on with Scholastic. Which uh, do you guys remember Scholastic? Whenever you were in school, hell yeah, I was oh, on the motorcycle. 
Oh, Scholastic <laughs> was great. Which I, I think you can actually order uh, some comic materials through uh, through Scholastic now, which is uh, which is great. So yeah, you know, hook, hook them young. Um, Supergirl number five. They said that's going to be out uh, February twenty second. Uh-huh. Is is that February twenty second, two thousand six? I I can't. I don't even want to get that book. I'm just so <laughs> over it. You know, if you're gonna write a storyline that is time sensitive, you might want to get it out relatively close to when everything else is coming out. It just seems real weird how the the Jeff Loeb announcement that he's going exclusive with Marvel, and then all of a sudden Supergirl was what three months yeah. overdue. Well, it just shows also that they can't think that story is that important because they kept telling everything else. <laughs> you know, like there wasn't any effort to, uh, cons- you know, rearrange the releases of other things because that story is so important that you can't spoil anything. So I go into it like the last two issues, and already I feel like, well, if they can't be bothered to do it, I can't be bothered to read it. <laughs> Well, and, and then the Jokers are, are three months, was it three months late on that book? And they're like, oh, but the fifth issue, you know, yeah, we've been late, but you get two variant covers now. Well, yeah, they're just trying to appease people now. It's like, ooh, you get, you know, you get to buy twice as many. <laughs> twice as many books. <laughs> yeah, wh- wh- which basically it sounds oh, like thank they, you. They, they took two covers and, and uh, ripped them in half and then spliced them together from the sounds of it. So, yeah, um, I'm going to pass. Um, Planet you can Hulk. see them on our website anyway, so don't even bother. You know. <laughs> did, did you guys pick up Planet Hulk last week? <clears throat> I did. No, I didn't. I, I did pick it up. Uh, Brian what, or, or Sal, what do you think of it? I, I liked it. I, I thought it was entertaining. Um, I liked the the voice that that the Hulk had, uh, if that makes any sense, or, or the um, just the sort of attitude the character had. It was, was interesting, um, and uh, the the art was okay. I I, I wasn't thrilled by it. Uh, I think the covers are, are, are that I've seen have looked phenomenal, but. The interior art was just okay to me, um, but it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're putting a huge amount of time into this story. I mean, it's running until two thousand seven. Yeah, and, I, and, I, you know, the Hulk's gone. You know, the 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 interesting thing I think will be when and if it's over, what happens? Because if you you know, I don't, not to spoil anything, but sort of the way that um, the Hulk is is shipped off to another planet, he's he's basically getting you know screwed over by some former friends, so it's going to be interesting when and if the Hulk comes back. Uh, yeah, he's not going to be happy. No, not at all. So that 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 that, that I found kind of interesting that they they wrote it that way. Um, but who who knows what will happen by the time it, it's it was said and the done. it was the first issue of Hulk that I've bought since John Burns run back when I was a wee lad, and it yeah I I liked the art. It was fine. The story. I don't know. Maybe I'm older now. It just it it seemed like a late '80s issue of the Hulk, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go read Daredevil instead." Uh, it, it was good, but we'll see. I'll I'll pick I'll pick up another issue or two. But I was confused did, about something. I, I, mm-hmm. I was confused about something on it. Now this issue was written by um, Peter Way. Is that his name? Uh, Daniel Way. Daniel Way. Right. I'm sorry. But was I thought, it really? the, yeah, this issue was written by Daniel Way, but I thought the whole Planet Hulk thing was Peter David was going to be writing it. 
Uh, Am I no. mistaken in that? Am I? Um, no, it's uh, tricked you. Sip, uh, keep talking. I'm looking. I, that's what I thought I, when I picked no, it up. No, no, this was this was written by Greg Pak. Oh, it was okay. Well, I'm yeah. completely screwed up. But Peter David isn't doing the entire Planet Hulk run then. I I heard that Peter David was finally coming back to Hulk, which you, you shame on me for not reading the twelve years of Hulk that that he wrote. But you know, this is done by Greg Pak. Oh, and, okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of liked it, but, you know, it, it's it's not a... I mean, what are you going to do with the Hulk at this point, I think, is, is sort of... You know, at least it's something different. He's not, you know... Yeah, Hulk's man. They should make it that he gets his powers when he's really happy. <laughs> <laughs> when you tickle him. Yeah, calling... it's comments like that is why we have Tom on the show. <laughs> uh, Dark you won't man. like me when I'm happy. Um, I, I liked the first Darkman movie. I thought it was... a. Uh, a great kind of anti-hero and I wouldn't care about a Darkman comic but hey Kurt Busiak yeah that's the interesting thing that they you know they are going to have him on it so you know he pretty much everything he touches is pretty good that'll be interesting I, I liked you know I liked the, the Darkman movies you know liked I wouldn't say I loved them but and same thing here I, I don't know that I'd necessarily pick that up um but it's Kurt Busiak. Yeah, with Busiak, with him doing it, I, I'll probably give it a shot. You gonna pick it up, Tom? Uh, no. I'll watch. You're the gonna movie. borrow my. <laughs> I'll watch the movie. <laughs> You'll watch. <them. laughs> no, I mean, it, I, I I like the movie. Uh, I guess I just don't. I'm not drawn that much to it. I guess so. I mean, if people come back to me and tell me that it's really good, I'll pick it up. But. I don't have that strong. Six months from now, it'll be Tom's top of the stack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll read it five times a day. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to change his avatar on the forum to uh, to Dark Man and and abandon the Flash Rogues. Dark Tom. Uh, (laughs) Dark Tom. Uh, Mocha uh, is doing a McFarlane exhibit. I've I've seen some stuff on this uh, here the last couple months, them really pushing that. Um, Legendary Todd McFarlane. Are, Are we ready to call him Legendary? There's going to be a big box of money behind a glass cage. Hey, man, Spawn number 1 sold 1.7 million copies. That's more than any independent book ever all time. Uh, you know, the guy, as much as he's done to to turn people off from him as far as a talent and, and uh, you know, an innovator and, and a guy that, you know, was creative and, and an amazing artist. I, you know, you can't deny his talent, I don't think. I mean, the guy's, you know, a bonehead maybe in some areas, and, and fans love to, you know, rip on stuff like $3 million for a baseball. But uh, but as far as an artist, I mean, I hey, if, if McFarlane went back to drawing Spider-Man, I'd be buying it in a heartbeat. I, I, I like his stuff. It's I got to admit that, you know, when he was on Spider-Man and then Spawn, everybody jumped onto it. It's beautiful stuff. The guy has just got a reputation of being a jerk. And Miracle I, Man. I, and <laughs> yeah, well, there's that whole debacle. And how many people has he, you know, has he upset in the industry and allegedly, you know, screwed over? So I don't know. But, you know, the whole Mocha thing, it almost seems like it, it kind of reminds me of, like, getting your star on the... Uh, on the Walk of Fame, you know, it's like nobody actually gives that to you. You go and buy it, and and then there's a process <laughs> to 
to uh, three million dollars. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, so that almost it's it's like I don't you know not to I'll, not I'll to damage the credibility I'll, yeah. of Mocha, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll yeah. give you a Sammy Sosa baseball if you uh, yeah. exhibit myself. No, and, and and for Mocha, I hope it's it's a success because that that is awesome that those guys do that. Um, actually, once again, referencing. Indie Spinner Rack, which is one of my new favorite uh, podcasts, they just did uh, their last show, What's From Mocha, and went into the whole story about the the guy that started that, um, basically started that because of 9-11. Uh, I, I'm probably misquoting here, but he uh, he lost his job because of the bombings or the, 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 uh, the whole 9-11 deal and started up Mocha in, instead of you know, trying to get back into into what he was doing. So, uh, for Mocha's sake, I hope that's a good exhibit. Hey, not to uh, go. Oh, I was mm-hmm. just gonna. Uh, I was just watching Dinner for Five on IFC, and mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane. Those roundtable shows suck. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, the the guy that does um, Family Guy, mm-hmm. he was telling a story that he was supposed to be on the the plane that the second plane that crashed into the World Trade Center. He got up late because he was hungover and didn't make the flight. He was like ten minutes late. The flight took off and then crashed into the the World Trade Center. And so he says, alcohol saved his life. <laughs> Just thought that was an interesting yeah. story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Deathlock the movie, and uh, I- I'm not going to go see this because the director. Um, is the same guy that did Wicker Park, which Wicker Park <laughs> is a neighborhood in Chicago, and that is that like Lincoln Park? To, oh, no, wi- no. <laughs> uh, Wicker, Wicker Park is actually an old artist neighborhood that became very expensive to move in uh, to because of all the artists there. It was a very hip neighborhood, and then it got to the point that it was so expensive that the starving artists had to move to Pilsen, which is another neighborhood in Chicago. But yes. anyway, Wicker Park was supposed to take place in Chicago, but it was actually filmed in Canada. So um, I have no respect for that. So I'm not going to go see that. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I guess that's to... as good a reason as any to uh, to not. I'm not going to go see it because I could care less about Deathlock, quite <gasps> honestly. But um, that's just me. I never really got into that character, and I don't know. I kind of look at that as maybe um, the first, you know, sign of the death of comic book movies. <laughs> when when but, Deathlock, there hasn't made. been a Nort movie made yet. Well, so. there, yeah, that's true. There, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not not. I that's the thing I've been dreading for the last couple of years. Like you've had these really good movies come out. Um, promoting comics and and showing you know how good the stories can be and I'm just waiting for them to really really start cheesing them down and 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 you know in the end you know after they've made you know the worst possible Captain America movie ever or something that they'll you know it'll it'll end up hurting the industry more than it than it ever helped but watch out folks because Ant-Man is coming yeah there you go oh Although yeah. we survived Fantastic Four, so I guess. Well, Fantastic Four Two is coming. Uh, well, that could be the sign of the apocalypse. All right, so I guess this is the first official uh, uh, press release on Annihilation, which is going to start with four miniseries uh, titled Nova, Silver Surfer, Ronin, and Super Scroll. Um, interested? Mildly. Yeah. Uh, Space books are hard for me to follow. 
but you're <laughs> I mean, a I'm DC being fan, and and DC is all about the cosmic. That they've always done that better than yeah. Marvel. But yeah, I, I've never. I, I'm with you about it. It's something about it being in space. I, it's so disconnected almost. Um, Marvel is about Manhattan. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't. I, I, I think I don't artists don't really know how to draw space scenes really well. I mean, I, I'm thinking of uh, some of the DC stuff. Like, there's books I've read that took place in space where I couldn't tell what the hell was going on because it's like licensed to jam as much crap onto the <laughs> panel as you possibly can, you know. There's no sense of space sometimes, you know. Like Space is supposed to be mostly empty. Unless it's in a comic book, and then it's well, jam packed with eight million spaceships. And well, I've always <laughs> I've always been a Super Scroll fan. I, I think that is one of the coolest characters ever. I love Scrolls, and Super Scroll is one of my favorite Marvel villains. So I'm I'm gonna check that out and and see how it goes. And Silver Surfer has got to be one of the most misused characters in the Marvel universe. They don't know how to use him. And so we'll see if maybe they maybe they they do it to appease the fans this time. Maybe I don't know. I just I'm just amazed that you know we st- still haven't gotten past galaxies looking like um, Jack Kirby's galaxies. The you know the bubbles he, you know that he did 40 years ago. People still do that to represent <laughs> Jack Kirby's God. Well, he's the king, so it's <laughs> just a tribute. It's a tribute to him that you know you still. You still see that pretty much, you know, when somebody does a, a, a an actually rendered space scene, you're still going to see those, you know, those multiple bubble-sized bubbles everywhere to represent star fields and stuff. Not that it doesn't look good. I, it just uh, you'd think we could come up with something, but we'll see. But, I, but I'm going to go on record and say that Annihilation is going to be good. Ooh, wow! Whoa. I'm going to say it is going to be. I'm going to mark that down. Yeah, Marvel. I, Marvel is getting ready to have a good year with Annihilation and Civil War, and then their secondary titles. Marvel is getting ready to have a very good year. You I watch. think you're desperate. I think, I'm not desperate. <laughs> I think you've taken so much abuse from House of M and Decimation. You know, versus uh, what's wrong with Decimation? <laughs> nothing. I'm just saying. I think. I, I think you're crazy. So Excalibur. I don't, I don't know. I'm not. I, I I don't see these four titles as being a, a huge thing, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll turn out all right. I I just don't have any interest really in any company's like space stuff. I don't know. It's something about me. I just don't. You're very grounded. Yeah, I need <laughs> I need dirt and filth. Well, I would really like a, space. I would like a space book. That there was literally a panel that really showed how empty space was. <laughs> okay, I've got a space book for you. It's going to be a top of the stack in the next month. Read Fear Agent by Rick Remender and Tony Moore. If uh, you yes. have never read a space book before or you are turned off by it, read that book. Fear Agent is so freaking good. I got a better one. And not that I don't like Fear Agent. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Well, no, it's I like Fear Asian, but th- this is a completely different type of space book that I think Tom would like is uh, um, uh, Switchblade Honey by Warren Ellis. It's a small graphic novel he did, black and white, and it's um, really interesting, a little more um, 
dirty, a little more, you know, yeah. it's, it's your, it's Warren Ellis in space. So it's, you got to oh, pull okay. out the Warren Ellis on me. Well, bastard. sorry, man. Well, I'm only going to read one. So you're going to have to sweeten the deal. Your <laughs> agent, pick it up. <laughs> okay, guys, let's wrap up the news for this week. Thank you, uh, Sal. That was a, a wonderful report as always. And everybody knows what that uh, means. It is time for top of the stack. Top, top of the stack. Of the stack. Of the stack. Of the stack. Ah, uh, yes, top of the stack. It is our weekly opportunity to tell you what we've been reading and hope that you take the time to check it out. I got a very, very special treat this week. I went to my local comic shop and talked to... Uh, and what's the, the name of there. that local comic shop, Chris? <laughs> that local comic shop is Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles. Um, everybody listened to uh, our first episode, hopefully, and uh, Mark Beatty is the manager there. I told him I was having a lot of trouble coming up with a, a good top of the stack. We, we had already talked about Planet Hulk, and and I liked it, but I didn't feel like it was a great top of the stack. And, and I, I read the first uh, uh, trade of Battle Helm that came out this week, and Brian told me that I couldn't do that because we're going to save that for a spotlight. So he looked at me and he's like, all right, here. Take this, review it, and bring it back to me. And I was like, all right. And he handed me the preview copy of Daredevil number 82, which has not hit stands yet. So uh, I'm going to do this spoiler-free. So if you're listening and you don't want it spoiled, don't worry. Uh, Daredevil number 82, uh, for those of you that do not know, is the very first Ed Brubaker, Michael Lark issue of Daredevil. They're taken over from my, uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. And when we talked to Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark last year at Wizard World, it was uh, the day after it had been announced that they were taking the title over. And this has been easily my most anticipated book of 2006. And uh, to start off with, it is 32 pages, and it doesn't even say that on the cover, but they give you 10 bonus pages in here, and every one of those pages is amazing. Mike Lark's art is top-notch. If you've read uh, any of his stuff in Gotham Central, uh, Scene of the Crime, uh, his work in Captain America, he is hitting on all cylinders here. Uh, what I love about this book is that it is coming right off of the Bendis Maleev run, and Lark's art translates from Alex Maleev's art almost seamlessly. They're different, they're both talented, but they kind of come from the same school as far as feel. And the way that Ed Brubaker writes this, it is seamless in its transition from Bendis's run. Uh, probably more action. The dialogue is is heavy in this, but not Bendis heavy. If and I know that turns a lot of people off. So there are some heavy dialogue pages, but it is definitely a lot more action involved in this one. There were at least three oh shit moments in this issue um, from the first splash page to a middle section confrontation with Matt Murdock and then the cliffhanger at the end if you guys anyone out there had thought about dropping Daredevil after Bendis was done don't do it this first issue is without a doubt the 
finest single issue that I have read this year, and I I cannot give it high enough praise. So that is my top of the stack. You guys do yours. I'm going to go and read Daredevil again. Nice. Well, I just want to say, you know, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, if you'd like glowing recommendations for your books in advance, send those <laughs> advanced copies to Around Comics at... Oh, no, just kidding. Um, my top of the second... I was having a hard time uh, also picking something this week. Um, and I, the book I did pick, I, I almost don't want to plug it because it's it's probably, you know, probably not a sleeper by any means. People are probably reading it. It's Ultimate Extinction. Sleeper was a great book. Not Sleeper. Oh. Okay. Ultimate Extinction, issue number two of six, written by Warren Ellis, um, and art by Brandon Peterson, colors Justin Posner, uh, Ponzer, I'm sorry, Justin Ponzer, and um, it, like I said, it, people are probably reading this already, but I just had to say, after the first issue, um, I really loved it. The second issue is even that much better. Um, the art in it is extremely cool. Uh, it's very clean, and the the artist is doing something interesting with it. He's almost giving it a line screen uh, with all the shading, which gives it a very cinematic or, or you know TV look to it. Um, I, I don't know if that's a photoshopped effect or if he's actually doing it by hand. If he's doing it by hand, I'd hate. I, I hate to be the inker on this because, man, there's just tons and tons of these little line screens in every shadow on every page. But the story is fantastic. Um, in my opinion, I don't know, Ellis has just been able to pick, uh, you know, take the Ultimate Universe and, and actually, of any of the Ultimate books, and I like all the Ultimate books, but of any of them, this is one of the few that I've read that really, even though it's, you know, sort of rehashing a story... This one, you know, has is, is left me in suspense. It's really, I'm really interested to see the next issue because I don't know what's going on. I don't, you know, I haven't figured it all out. It's it's exciting and interesting, and, and I want to read the next issue. So he's really done a good job of hooking me with the first two issues so far in this, and um, and it's just been a lot of fun to read it. But, uh, and also he just, he's, he, Warren else has such the ability to create you know, unique characters and unique voices with all these characters, and the interplay between them is is always fun and interesting, and and you're never sure what you know what's going to happen um, from one moment to the next. So, uh, it's just a, a a real real good read, and I've been enjoying the first two issues, and will certainly pick up the rest of them. And I hope Warren Ellis writes some more Ultimate stuff because I think it's a perfect playground for his uh, his abilities. Tom, what you got for us this week? <laughs> uh, mine is The Exterminators, which is a book in the Vertigo line. Um, it's written by si Simon Oliver and drawn by Tony Moore. And I just picked up the second issue. And if anybody's ever lived in a house that has an infestation problem, I think you can truly appreciate what this book is about. Uh, it's following a pair of exterminators pretty much through the first two issues as they sort of wage their hidden war against the thin line between rats overrunning us and cockroaches and uh, all of that. Uh, there's a great image in one of the issues that really sums it up of a bunch of cockroaches crawling over snow globes of all the major cities in the United States and uh, its theme is sort of how close 
humanity is a lot of times completely falling apart and how there's all these tiny things going on on all the time. There's always cockroaches and rats around and how close we are to letting them overrun everything. And uh, one of the great parts about this book is I'm somebody who doesn't enjoy swearing a lot in comics or sort of like the graphic violence or uh, visuals because a lot of times I feel people want that to add reality but it's no more real than anything else but in this book all the swearing and sex and violence all makes complete sense within the story uh, you read it and you say wow this is what <laughs> being an exterminator is like you swear and you'd have to stab a rat with a knife at some point and it would be graphic and uh, Tony Moore gets to draw corpses so it all works out fine and uh, it's just really enjoyable and really something that I wouldn't have thought I would have enjoyed a lot but after having read the first two issues I'm really excited to see where it goes because it has they're introducing like levels of intrigue that I'm not really sure where it's gonna go that you don't know everything about the main character uh, you're finding things out uh, in really interesting ways. and uh, It's just this weird, quirky book that uh, has really surprised me with how much I enjoyed it. And the art on it is awesome. Tony, yeah, it's Tony Moore. Tony Moore. But even, even, I mean, I love Tony Moore stuff, and, and but some of the stuff, uh, that last panel, I think it was in, in issue number two, yeah, uh, that was just—I mean, it was disgusting, <laughs> but it, yeah. it was I so mean, well done. It fits I, so well within what's going on in that book yeah, too, yeah, which absolutely. is just like the I've great read the thing first about two it. Issues. I have absolutely no idea what is going on, but I love it. It is a yeah. beautiful train wreck. I can't help but want to <laughs> to get the. Next I had to issue. go back and read the first one like two twice. At some point, and I found new things after reading the second one, and the first one that I didn't pick up right away on, and it's just really it's nice example of a non-superhero book that works on the same sort of tensions that people want out of comic books. Mm-hmm. You know, like the humanity of like the two main people. Like, you know who you're supposed to hate and be disgusted by. You know, like. It all works. It all fits. It's cohesive. And there you know, and so that, mu- mm-hmm. I was going to say the other thing, like you were talking about, is is everything. It seems like that was a very well thought out project. That they knew exactly the look and feel and the way the characters were going to sound, and everything works together on that to make it, you know, what it is. Uh, which, like I said, is very strange, very weird, but very entertaining. But I mean, it's 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 all done in the right way for exactly the, the, the look they want on that book. It, it creates a world, and mm-hmm. that's what I love about good comics, is that when I when I picked up those books, the, the first issue, by the time I was done with it, I was like, that just created a world that is its own thing. And the second issue just it expanded on that, and it's like, it, it is a... It's a beautiful train wreck, is what I got to say about it. it. It's it is grotesque and funny and just awful and amazing at the same time. I can't wait for the third issue. 
Man, Tom, you had way better top of the stack pick than me this week. I'm kind of upset. Mine was mine was hey, the worst of the three. It was like no, no, no. no. Ultimate oh, extinctions. No. Uh, uh, I was just flipping through Ultimate Extinction, and you were actually talking about the shading in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it looks like they're um, they're using Zipatone on that, and I don't know if you it is though? a uh, do what? I haven't seen Zipatone like that though. It, it may be a digital effect, but it, it's definitely given it its own look and feel. And and I love the way that the book looks. It's um, it was drawn and colored beautifully. Yeah, it, it's nice to have an ultimate, an ultimate book that really feels fresh. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's nice to. Sometimes it falls into the trap of if it's like recooked stories. Sometimes when it at its worst, but when it's at its best. It's sort of a relevant uh, revelation of you know an old story you mm-hmm. know and it just it's it's just sort of like electrifying to read it and be like oh this is a whole new way to look at this type of story. Yeah, that's exactly what I got out of it was that you know even though I know what's going on because it's already happened in you know yeah. um, it it still to me is like well I don't really know what's going on. you know what I mean it's still yeah. interesting and entertaining and it it really uh, you know kept me kind of guessing and just you know, he, he's weaving a very good mystery out of something that's already been told which is pretty hard to do did you guys notice what ultimate character is not a part of the ultimate extinction the entire three miniseries of what extinction or annihilation it, any of them of, of the ultimate the ultimate extinction which was what nightmare and um, secret and now extinction do you notice what character hasn't been a part of that I have no idea. No Ultimate Spider-Man. This is a oh. X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Ultimates book. So I, I just think that the, well, he was the an exclusion... Ulti- he had his mm-hmm. own Ultimate Six. True. I just thought it was interesting that Ultimate Spider-Man has not been a part of this. So. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Is he, is he Jewish? <laughs> Abe Spider-Man? Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> hey, I've got a cold. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Um, I think uh, that will successfully uh, wrap up top of the stack this week. Um, we do have a couple of announcements I would like to uh, to run your way. Um, first of all, our uh, February spotlight. Uh, Sal, why don't you run that down for us? Well, it's actually yeah. I guess it is our February spotlight. Somehow I put it on the on the website as our March spotlight, but. Um, February Spotlight is going to be on Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Volume 1, the collected trade paperback. And uh, it's... I I haven't... Even though I've read a lot of those issues years ago when they first came out, um, I haven't read it in a long time, so it's going to be interesting to go back and see um, the difference now that I'm older and and how those stories have held up. Uh, I know Matt has commented on that before. Uh, that they may not have held up quite as well, but I think political, you know, just sort of the the ideas behind them and and the uh, social commentary behind those issues will will be probably just as relevant today as they were when they first were put down. Um, so it's going to be interesting to to take a look at that. And so we are going to do at the end of February, we'll do an an extra podcast that'll probably be on a, a middle of the week as opposed to Monday um, to go through that in depth 
And Absolutely, and uh, if you are reading or have read Green Arrow, Green Lantern, that first trade, and you would like to send in your comments, please do so at info at aroundcomics.com, and we'll read those on the air. Um, my next announcement is next week, February 18th, if you are a Chicago area listener, we are going to get together for our very first live uh, remote. We're going to do a show at the Grafton Pub in Lincoln Square that is uh, on North Lincoln Avenue. Uh, if you need information, go ahead and email us. You've got the email address. We're going to do that next Saturday at 3 o'clock. So if you're in the area, please come by. And Sal, why don't you tell them about our forum? Uh, about the forum, we uh, well, we had a, a interesting development on our forum. We on aroundcomics.com, we have our own forum, and it's been getting a little bit of traffic here and there, but not a ton. Um, but last week, Brian Deemer from Comic Book Geek Speak um, asked us if we would like to open up a a new board on their forum. Comic, uh, it's comicgeekspeak.com, and on their forum, you'll see there are two boards now: Comic Geek Speak and then Around Comics. So uh, they were kind enough to give us that opportunity, so we certainly took advantage of it. And you can now post on their forum about this show, uh, but you can also post on our forum. And I'm not sure. We're going to keep that running for now, both of the forums, to see how it goes. Um, I'm not sure how that's all going to shake out at this point. But for now, you can post on both or one or the other, however you feel, and then let us know what you think. Absolutely. We're very, very happy uh, that the Comic Geek Speak guys uh, gave us uh, our own little corner of their universe. They uh, have been very kind to us, and we want to give a shout-out to them. If you have not listened to the Comic Geek Speak podcast, do so. It is one of the finest comic podcasts out there. And on that note, I think that we're going to wrap things up for the show. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will back, be back next week with an all-new episode of Around Comics. If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week, where the panel will change, but our mission stays the same bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics. <laughs>